0: The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. And on the line now, we have the Liberal candidate for corangamide, Stephanie Asher. Good morning.
1: Good morning, Mitchell. How are you?
0: Good. Thank you for being on the program. And of course, first of all, our condolences to you for the loss of your mother.
1: Thank you. That's very kind of you. It's been a rough couple of months, but um, we're coming out the other side now. So thank you.
0: How's the campaign going now?
1: The campaign is going quite well, albeit a bit of catching up to do. Um, I did take a few weeks from, from everything, really, um, back there, sort of late September to mid October. So now we're starting to hit our straps getting out and about and uh, talking to people, listening to people, and asking lots of questions. It's good
0: fun. You've run in a number of different campaigns over the years, ranging from an independent campaign for Corio back in the day through to uh, being the Geelong deputy elect, or the John elected mayor, it was, and then, uh, of course, a council campaign campaign, how does this one compare to previous campaigns you've run?
1: I think there are as many similarities as there are differences, actually. I think this will be my sixth campaign because, of course, I've done the two mayoral campaigns, two council elections, and as you say, the uh, federal campaign back in 2013. So it is uh, very much the same in that it's all about community. It's all about understanding what issues are important to people, how people are feeling, what the mood is on the street, and capturing that and trying to understand how The federal policy in this case will affect people on the ground. So that's always what's driven me from a curiosity point of view.
0: How do you go from being a local government representative talking about things that a mayor talks about and things that you've perhaps had a responsibility for in your decision-making to perhaps talking about things that you may not have had a responsibility in, for example, submarines, uh, climate change, all these federal policies that you haven't been in parliament and haven't made the decisions, but you're having to now go out onto the streets of the Ballerine and parts of Corangamite and talk about them?
1: It is really interesting because I think you'd probably appreciate most people don't make a huge distinction between the different levels of government. Certainly, as a councillor, everybody understands that we do talk about roads that are state roads, uh, you know, federal issues, as well as local government issues, and so I'm sure the state politicians have exactly the same experience, and I'm sure from a federal perspective, people do still complain about potholes and things like that. So, really, it's, it's a matter of... Um, as much educating and understanding where people do tap in to their various government representatives and trying to make sure that they can understand how you can assist them. So it really is part of mapping it all out.
0: There seems to be already five candidates who have put their hand up to run for Karangamite. We don't even have a date for the election as of yet, which to me is perhaps a bit of a surprise. And probably I can't even recall a seat where there's been five people running for it before an election's even been called. So do you get a sense as to how competitive it is and how tough the campaign is going to be?
1: Not really yet. I think we're all feeling a little uh, uncertain about the date. So, I don't have any more information than anybody else. So, uh, we have to be ready for either a sprint or a marathon, That's <laughs> that which is a tricky space to be in. And I think there probably will emerge um, some more candidates along the way, certainly some more independents. Um, but that'll be interesting, you know, the more the merrier.
0: Do you think your previous campaigning experience will stand you in good stead or do you feel like this is a whole new level above what you've done previously?
1: I think there's always, experience does help, but there, you never know everything, obviously. There's always lessons to learn. Uh, there's new people to meet. There's different issues to consider. It's a very live situation at the moment. Obviously, climate change is a big issue for people. And, you know, as we know, COP26 going on right now, it's it's changing almost hour by hour at the moment. So I think in a month's time, we'll have a different uh, probably approach and way of explaining things than we do even now.
0: And how do you feel about your prospects for Corangamai? Because I can't even remember the last time there was an MP for Corangamite, who only served one term. Of course, Darren Cheeseman got two terms. Stuart MacArthur was in for a very long time before him. And then Sarah Henderson got two terms. So it would be a bit unusual for Libby Coker, the incumbent, to only serve one term, wouldn't it?
1: I guess on those, on those grounds, yes, but I'm certainly not going to be speculating at this point. And we do know that it is, I think, the most marginal seat in the country. So I think it's always been uh, you know, on a very fine line there.
0: And what do you think of the new boundaries? It really is a Ballerine seat. Yes, there are other parts of the electorate and we don't want to forget those, but um, it really, like the majority of the land area would be the Ballerine. Is that a place that you feel at home being a Ballerine ward councillor?
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm the one who lives here. So, <laughs> yes, very much at home, quite literally. But, of course, it includes the Torquay and the Surf Coast and Bannockburn and Invalid. So, it still has that diversity uh, that makes this region as a whole really interesting and certainly lots of different issues that are relevant to different people.
0: So, talking about COP26 net zero emissions, as I was saying to Richard Miles a couple of weeks ago, from my understanding of following climate change as a government issue going back to 2007 and possibly even before, Therefore, it's not necessarily the targets that governments set that gets them into trouble. It's sort of the actual methodology for getting there that seems to get governments and politicians in trouble. And I think you even said something similar with the council on declaring a climate emergency. You said we can't declare one right now because then people would ask us what we're doing. So you said we want to have this sustainability framework in place. So the question is, if we are committing to net zero emissions by 2050, how would a federal liberal government get there?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of good points in there and you're exactly right. It is um, very much about the how for me. I'm very much about action. Um, actions do speak louder than words and I think that's what people are looking for, not not the activism. And for so long, people have wanted the federal government to put forward a detailed response to climate change and this has been done now. The plan, you know, I'm still reading through it. I'm still picking pieces out of it. So I'd be very happy to come back and talk in more detail um, in a month or so about that. But it's certainly, for me, balanced, covers a lot of ground. But of course, there's getting a lot of you know, that's something my first ever boss said to me was the easiest thing in the world is to criticise someone else's work. So I think whatever has been put out as a map is always going to attract um, criticism, certainly from opposition. And certainly, as you've got an election coming up, but from what I can see, it's um, a really good response. I'm really happy with the plan.
0: But our previous controversial issues, like, for example, a price on carbon, a carbon tax, are these back on the table now with this plan?
1: Well, look, there is a mechanism for carbon credit. So it, it is so broad. There's so many things in there. And I think that's part of why people are criticising it, because there is a lot to digest. But when you do drill down, there's there's actions and responses in so many areas, you know, from investment to building partnerships to actually investigating new technologies and um, allowing the freedom for these technologies to develop as well and to facilitate that. So if there is a lot of detail in there. It certainly doesn't serve to try and explain it in a short interview um, or as a soundbite. That's what's really interesting about the media that's coming out of COP26. We're getting the salacious sound bites instead of the interesting detail, which is a bit of a shame, so well, probably be more interesting on reflection, I think.
0: That's why this program exists, to do longer form discussions, so we can actually go into some detail and not just play the 15-second sound bite.
1: Exactly, and it's a very refreshing program, I must say. Well,
0: thank you. But uh, in terms of I suppose the question around climate change is what do we have to give up in order to get to net zero? That would be weighing on people's minds. I mean, there's so many different proposals that are put out there. Like, I think Greta has raised the idea of rationing international flights. Some people have talked about having 14 grams of meat on average per day. So the question is how much will we have to give up in order to try and improve the climactic conditions and save the planet?
1: For me, it's less about giving up than giving people the opportunity to take the action that they want to take. And certainly my experience in working at the local government level with the Climate Change Response Plan and the Sustainability Framework and Action Plan is that people do want to do things. They do want to address their own impacts by whether it's reducing consumption or managing their waste better or driving an electric vehicle. So people want to be empowered. They just need the mechanisms to do that and preferably not be taxed in doing that as well. So there is a balance, there's a broad menu of things that people can actually do. And for me, it's about translating all those what's seem to be very um, highfalutin federal policies sometimes wrapped in acronyms and that are quite difficult to penetrate, actually explain that to people on the ground as to what they can do themselves every day to make an impact, because it's only by doing that that we're going to make a difference.
0: And I saw a photo where you were wearing the, uh, the scarf, which represented the years and the temperatures over those years to show us that the planet's getting warmer. And I also saw the incumbent Libby Coca wearing the same sar- scarf. So is there a degree of bipartisanship on this issue?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, the more governments at all levels learn to work together and effectively work together, the the more people are going to be happy about that as well, Um, the more effective we will be. I I think people are sick of conflict, um, sick of the bickering. I think positivity is what I'm all about, being a strong and positive voice um, and getting solutions, you know, actual action. So I think empowering people to do that, working together at, at all levels is really, really critical.
0: On one issue where it would seem that there's not so much bipartisanship, it would be around the local Drysdale pool, because I see Libby Koch has been out talking about why it should be an indoor pool, and you're saying we're pushing ahead on the outdoor pool, and construction will be getting underway to the point where it won't be easy to reverse it after the next election should Labor win office. So tell us about that. Why are you going down this particular path, and why should people support it?
1: The outdoor 50-metre pool was something that was lobbied by the community very hard for the 2019 election, hence Sarah Henderson putting $10 million of funding towards it. Um, so the community's definitely been asking for this particular product in this facility, and that was also supported in the council's social infrastructure plan review. Uh, there was a lot of support for an outdoor 50-metre pool, and that's stage one of a, an aquatic facility that does include indoor hydrotherapy pool and a, a, aqua aquaplay and a gym and a, um, probably some program pools as well. But the hydrotherapy pool and the outdoor 50 metre pool are the two products that are missing on the Bellarine. Bearing in mind there is an indoor pool at Splashdown and there is an indoor pool in Ocean Grove. So certainly for the people in Port Arlington, St Leonard's Indented Head, that's outside the 10 minute drive, ideally. But stage one is the indoor pool and that's what, uh, sorry, is the outdoor pool and that's what the funding has been specifically given to and stage two will be the indoor facility which we all need to lobby hard for every level of government.
0: And why is that better than what Labour is proposing?
1: Uh, it's actually achievable and it's underway. So it's, it's not really a debate. It's, a, it's rather a cool hoax what's being proposed because the outdoor 50-meter pool, the funding is tied to that particular product and it is well underway. So it can't actually be... That money can't be appropriated for a different product and that project can't be stopped without the community missing out on the pool. So... Uh it's, it's the project that is 50 metres outdoor is going to start being developed early next year, which will be really exciting for the Bellerin community.
0: I'm sure you would see critiques from people that suggest, and we we're talking about the levels of government just before, that federal governments don't really deal in local pools. It seems to be more of a council issue. Do you think federal elections in individual seats should be determined by who has the best pools policy?
1: I'm not somebody who believes that people vote for particular funded products. I don't vote that way. I certainly never have. And, you know, I know that pork barrelling is seen as a thing um, across all levels of government and people like to talk about it and like to make funding commitments. But I actually don't think people vote that way personally. That's my personal opinion. So at any level of government, I think there's lines crossed in terms of how um certain facilities are delivered and funded but if there's a gap then of course i would imagine the community asks for it and the politicians respond
0: uh population and planning on the ballerine that does also seem to be a contentious issue um do you differ much from the labor party on that particular issue because i've seen uh both of you come out and denounce certain developments
1: I don't actually follow what the Labor Party's positions are on it. So I know that overdevelopment is a a big concern on the Ballerine and certainly has been, and Torquay as well. Um, And now Bannockburn um, and Inverley are experiencing the same situation. Obviously, everybody's discovered our beautiful region and everyone is moving here. So um, it is a big issue for people who have already moved here um, and settled and figured that they've moved to their particular part of life. But there's also issues for people who have invested um, in a move to another part of the region, another part of the world, and they want the infrastructure. So it's, it's, a, it's a balance. It always is a balance. And planning, of course, is at the state level and then implemented at the local level. So, again, not really an area that the federal government um, has a huge role to play, but certainly listening to the community, it's understanding what is important to them and what the impacts of that development and potentially overdevelopment are and addressing those.
0: And the federal government can, of course, influence population growth in one direction or another.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And certainly Mm. in this region, we've had, um, you know, both local and state um, interfere or <laughs> influence how the how the region grows and the settlement strategy at the local level has directed the growth to the north and the west of Geelong and of course the distinctive areas and landscapes policies at the state level have ensured that the Torquay, Surf Coast and the Ballerine areas are um, recognised and protected as well from inappropriate development. So I think that's a good example of everybody working together and listening to the community.
0: What does an ideal Ballerine Peninsula look like to you in terms of getting that balance right with planning and creating the sort of of environment that people want to live in.
1: I think it's heading in the right direction. The most important piece was to stop the sprawl. You know, that was something that was really important to local people. We didn't want just one huge suburb of the Bellarine. Uh, So the town boundaries and the fact that the settlement strategy directed that growth away from here and and intended that the boundaries be tightened up and the Dal will do that. And to make sure that the unique characteristics of each township were retained is really important as well. So infill rather than sprawl and making sure that each township is is appreciated for its own uniqueness, whether that be a bay-facing town like Port Arlington or an ocean-facing one like Barwon Heads Ocean Grove. So... It's it's actually really understanding what the people who have lived, who have moved here, um, what they've moved for and the people who live here, what they appreciate most about
0: it. And finally, just on COVID recovery, it was the first weekend on the weekend where people could actually come down from metropolitan Melbourne and we could go back. I'm just wondering, how is business going after that? Have you heard anything? And I'm guessing COVID recovery is going to be a key focal point of whenever the election is held. What can you offer businesses and people to help us recover and our region recover from the issues around COVID and lockdowns?
1: Well, most importantly, I think it's getting vaccinated. I think that campaign needs to continue to make sure that everybody's um, double-vaxxed as as they need to be, um, encourage each other to do that and encourage each other to, to keep positive as well. I think the, the lockdowns certainly in Victoria have really had a, an impact on people's mental health and, and outlook. Everybody's very fatigued. So it's making sure that we do stay connected, we encourage each other, and, of course, because so much of this area is tourism and hospitality, it's really making sure that we use those local businesses, encourage those local businesses and and give them support. So it is, a lot of it is about morale um, and certainly making sure that we keep up the social distancing, wash your hands, you know, good ventilation, promote outdoor activities, promote things like outdoor facilities because that's actually going to be the way of the future. So I think, you know, ventilation, maybe we have open windows in hotels and things like that and certainly schools. I think there's some real common sense spaces that we we can go back to now.
0: Well, thank you very much for being on. On the program. Uh, you've been coming on here for a very long time and it's been great to catch up once again. Looking forward to speaking with you throughout the campaign. Thank you so
1: much, Mitchell. Hopefully we can see face-to-face next time.
0: Too. Hopefully, yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, Stephanie Asher there, the Liberal candidate for Corangamite. The Mitchell's Front Page podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11.